The financial food for thought that's going to be tough to swallow for families right across this country, with many already feeling gouged at the grocery store. Those prices are set to soar even higher. Good evening. With a little bang for your buck, how does it make you feel knowing you're about to be spending more for them? It's a gut punch for many Canadians stunned by sticker shock. The food forecast? Unappetizing. Here's what's being served up. According to the latest price report, a family of four can expect their annual bill to rise more than $1,000, pushing $16,300 in 2023, building on months of increases that haven't been seen in decades. And if, like so many, you're watching every dollar and cent, the so-called shelflation is difficult to digest. The big question, will we see any alleviation in the aisles anytime soon. CTV's Raheem Ladani is live with our top story tonight. Raheem. Well, Nathan and Michelle, it seems like every time you go to the grocery store these days, the bill is higher, but you're walking away with less. Well, it appears that trend is likely to continue as we head into the new year. With every item scanned at the grocery checkout, shoppers are feeling a similar pain. It's getting tougher and tougher to stretch that dollar. At the end of the week, I'm making maybe three to four hundred dollars. Half of that goes to groceries. New numbers from Canada's food price report shows grocery prices have jumped 10.3 percent this year. And geopolitics are one reason why prices will likely remain high into the new year. At the grocery store, we felt it uh, violently. All sections of the grocery store were impacted by, by what happened in, in Ukraine with the invasion of, of, of Russia. The report predicts that in 2023, the cost of fruit will rise 3 to 5 percent, seafood 4 to 6 percent, meat, dairy and baked goods 5 to 7 percent, and vegetable prices are expected to see a 6 to 8 percent increase. That means for the average family of four, their annual grocery bill is expected to be more than $1,000 higher than it's been this year, putting greater pressure on how people will afford their meals. I have no clue. Seriously, I don't. They go to the food banks. That's how, where they go at the end. But thank God we're okay, but there's other people who cannot afford to do that. Canadians adapt. It's like gas prices. They go up, we adapt. Mortgage costs go up, we adapt. It means we're not going to be doing some of the things we used to do. One of those things might be going out to restaurants. While businesses are also paying higher food costs, restaurant owners say they can't simply pass down the cost to diners. Just recently, the price of lettuce went up by 400%. Uh, you can't pass a 400% increase onto, onto consumers like that. So what's happening is a lot of restaurants are just absorbing those costs. Meanwhile, two of the country's largest grocers are testifying about food inflation in front of a House of Commons committee. Loblaws prices are not growing faster than costs, and we are not taking advantage of inflation to drive profit. Grocery chains have been accused of price gouging and are being criticized for recording record profits while consumers pay the price. Now, one piece of advice we did here was if you go to the grocery store and the product you want is priced above normal, if you can, don't just buy it. Either go to another grocery store or even come back to the same store just a day or two later because industry experts say prices can fluctuate that quickly. They also are anticipating a sustained relief of grocery prices in the latter part of 2023. However, that's because of the anticipated economic slowdown. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right, thanks, Raheem. Finding a deal at the store isn't the only thing that's hard to track down right now. If you're a parent of a sick child, 
you know the struggle of trying to get your hands on medicine. Just one glaring example of what's being called a health care crisis with Ontario's children caught right in the middle. CTV Sean Lethong is live tonight with more. Sean. Well, Michelle and Nathan, we know the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa has called in the Red Cross. Here at the Hospital for Sick Children, they've been streamlining surgeries for a couple of weeks, and we know pharmacies are still not getting the children's pain meds that they need. Walking through his East End pharmacy, Kiro Masai says for patients seeking pediatric pain medication, it's luck of the draw. Last Friday, I had a, a child that wasn't able to walk from juvenile arthritis. She, she was about a year and eight month old, and I couldn't do much for her because there's no anti-inflammatories that are in liquid form for kids. In order to help, Masai cut into his private supply. If it wasn't for the fact that one of my patients brought me back a bottle of Advil from her trip to Colorado, I would have had nothing to offer her father. His pharmacy has only received three bottles of liquid children's Tylenol from the stockpile imported by the federal government. As the shortage of children's pain meds persists, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa has called in the Red Cross to help manage the patient's surge. There is so much burden of respiratory virus right now. There is so much influenza, lots of RSV, lots of COVID still circulating, as well as the more typical viruses we see during this time of year. We reached out to the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto who said high patient volumes continue and they have been reducing surgery since mid-November. But Sick Kids is not seeking staffing support from places like the Red Cross. Willing to implement. The Prime Minister and the Premier were at an event in Ingersoll today, and when asked if they would consider reintroducing masking mandates, Trudeau said vaccination and flu shots remain the best defense. I'm extremely worried uh, about what uh, Canadian kids are facing right now. Families really worried about whether or not they're going to be able to get their kids uh, to hospitals, not just uh, in, uh, at uh, Chio in Ottawa, but uh, right across the country. Premier Ford, however, praised the move by Chio to call in the Red Cross as thinking outside the box, hinting that the worst may be past. We're seeing uh, the pediatric uh, illness actually level. Uh, up in Ottawa, they're seeing a spike, but here in Toronto, we're seeing it level off, which is good news. At Queen's Park, the opposition parties scolded the state of health care. Chio is all hands on deck. The problem in Ontario right now is this government isn't all hands on deck. Having the Red Cross show up at your hospital because you don't have enough people on staff is not a sign that you've planned, it's a sign that you've failed. Back at his pharmacy, Kiro Masai says they need the tools to treat kids in the community. If our hands are tied because we don't have the supply of medications that we need to have, then it's going to lead to a lot of spillover into hospital. And one more thing from Kira Masai, he said when he was talking to his colleagues in other countries, they simply don't understand why Canada doesn't have the medications they need. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lethong. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Sean. Ahead in just minutes, taking during the season of giving and targeting some of our most vulnerable. Thieves taking aim at seniors, only trying to help their loved ones. What families should be on the lookout for. There is labor peace in Ontario schools, but for how long? Unionized education workers voting to ratify a new deal. It's a process many parents, students and staff would surely love to avoid repeating anytime soon. But is it too soon to say a winter of discontent is off the table? CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris is live with more. Siobhan.
Well, the book has closed on CUPE contract talks for the next four years, but negotiations are just starting for teachers and educational support workers represented by other unions. They're after some of the same things we saw come up in those CUPE discussions, higher wages to keep up with inflation and more supports for schools. After months of negotiation, legislation to impose a contract and a two-day walkout, it's over. CUPE's educational workers have voted in support of a new contract. We shook this province with our protests. We showed Ontarians that you can stand up to a bully for what is just and right. And we ended up with a deal that more than doubled the wage increase that the government tried to force upon us. About 76% of CUPE members cast ballots. 73% of them said yes. Among them, Walton, who had pointed out shortcomings of the deal. 73 is a bit higher than I expected. I thought it might be a bit tighter, but um, I think it also goes to show that for me myself, in my 20 years, I've never had a dollar a year raise. The government sees this as a win. We are so pleased we were able to reach an agreement that has now been overwhelmingly ratified by the members that keeps kids in the classroom. Walton says those who rejected the deal weren't satisfied with commitments to improve in-school services. And now what we need to do is hold that momentum and be pushing this government to do which is right, which is invest in public education. In a downtown Toronto hotel, that push is still happening in bargaining. That's true for the union representing public high school teachers and more than 20,000 educational support workers. We are nowhere near having a deal, but we continue to be at the table and talking to the other side. These unions have decided on media blackouts, keeping the back and forth of negotiations private. So that we can have open conversations at the table. We do have to think about the cost of living skyrocketing and the fact that 1% from Bill 124 really has meant that a lot of people needed a second or third job to get by. The union speaking for Catholic teachers is trying to reach a contract. That is fair uh, and that supports students um, and uh, that we'll be able to do that through good old-fashioned, um, you know, bargaining. Not through legislation. The government has been very clear we are going to negotiate. And not bring forward a bill like Bill 28 again. Before there could be any possibility of another education worker strike, those unions would have to put the question to their members whether they're willing to walk out. None of the member or none of the unions rather are anywhere close to that position right now, so we should be in a period of calm until at least sometime in the new year. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Siobhan. Staying with schools and a theme we've been tracking for weeks now, safety in the classroom and whether enough is being done amid a recent slew of violence. You trust your child will be secure, but more families and experts are saying that confidence is being lost. CTV's Allison Hurst is live with more. Allison. Michelle, today the TDSB released a report ahead of tonight's meeting that they're going to talk about safety. And in it, it said that violent incidents are up. And if it continues going this way, it could be the highest number of incidents since they began tracking in 2000. Seeing a Toronto police car outside a school is becoming all too common across the city, with students and parents saying they don't feel safe in schools. And when we hear from students, staff, members of the community that they don't feel safe, we have no option but to take that very seriously because you should be able to walk into a school and feel welcome and safe. For weeks, there have been growing calls for action from students and parents about improved safety. After dealing with a deadly shooting at Woburn Collegiate, a stabbing at Birchmount and ongoing safety concerns at York Memorial led staff to walk off the job. I don't feel safe at the school because um, 
the type of stuff that's happening here. I feel helpless. This is too much. It's been going on for too long. With many questioning why the TDSB hasn't done more. In some cases, I think we would acknowledge that uh, things should have happened uh, quicker. Uh, and in us responding to those concerns. The school resource officer program ended in 2017, and TDSB members say there's no plans to bring it back. But on Friday, Mayor John Tory suggested there might be a role for police to play. We have to decide on policing. You know, maybe the old way, I supported the old way of having the police in schools, but I realized that was controversial. The school board took it out, but is there a, a different way in which we can have police help to keep schools safe? That same day, a group of students and community activists staged a walkout from York Memorial, demanding a solution to ongoing issues. We, the students, are unsafe. During the walkout, Marcel Wilson, founder of One by One Group, says he met with a group of York Memorial parents. They were asking, how, how can we go about getting programs like ours uh, uh, implemented into the school system? Programs, he says, that deal with the root cause of violence from childhood. A cookie-cutter system will not work. They have to be tailored to certain communities, certain demographics, certain sensitivities. Almost 30 delegations are speaking at tonight's meeting. I spoke with the school trustee who's in charge of the ward that has York Memorial in it. He held a public consultation last week and says that about 75% of those involved in last week's consultation says they would like to see some sort of temporary policing measure in schools. He says he doesn't have a motion for police back in schools, but it will certainly be part of the conversation. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Allison. Just ahead, gunned down at a gas station. A woman shot and killed in Mississauga. Her killer is still on the loose, but people in the area are telling us about a terrifying series of events. But first, here's a live look outside on this Monday evening. There is some wet weather on the way. How long will it stick around in the GTA this week? Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions and not a bad Monday weather-wise. Not bad, Michelle. You know, it's pretty mild out there right now as far as temperatures in December are concerned, especially in the evening hours. Five degrees this hour in Oshawa, Halton Hills, as well as Welland. And it's five degrees currently at Pearson Airport. Overnight tonight, we dropped to a low of three. That is uh, well above seasonal. As for the winds, they're fairly light at this hour. We're going to see winds strengthen over the next couple of days. And on the satellite and radar, we have rain in some areas, some wet snow in others. We'll talk about just how unsettled conditions will be for the early part of this week coming up in your seven-day forecast. For now, though, Nathan, I'm going to send it over to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. We turn next to a grisly investigation in a very public place, the fatal shooting of a woman outside of a Mississauga gas station. We know her name, but what we but what police still do not know is just who pulled the trigger. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports. Gone too soon reads a message on flowers placed near the spot. 21-year-old Pavan Precor was shot and killed. The young woman from Brampton was gunned down Saturday night around 10:40 while on the job at this Mississauga Petro-Canada. The suspect is still out there. It is really very tragic and it really makes everyone here in the neighborhood so sad because sometimes we see the lady when we go uh, putting gas in there. And yeah, it's so really, really uh, devastating. Helen Salinas lives across the street from the gas station, which sits next to a busy Tim Hortons and shopping plaza. People who work and shop in the area have told CTV News the violence has shaken their sense of safety. Some customers who were at the gas station when shots were fired say they heard three or four bangs. 
Some also recalled seeing the suspect point a gun at Kaur's head. When I heard about it, I couldn't even say anything. I was so shocked. It's really sad. Why is that happening in the neighborhood? Police say they believe the shooting was an isolated incident and targeted and are combing over hours of video trying to identify the suspect. Police say the suspect was wearing all dark clothing, but despite all the cameras here at the gas station, they haven't been able to confirm their gender. Officers say the suspect's face was covered. Suncor, which owns Petro-Canada, tells CTV News it extends their deepest condolences to the family, friends and co-workers of the victim as they deal with the tragedy. We are hoping that the police can find the person, of course, to serve justice for the lady. She's a very nice lady. The company says it's cooperating with police as the investigation continues. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Some serious firepower is off the streets tonight. Take a look at this haul. Illegal guns seized in a major weapons trafficking investigation. CTV's Austin Delaney is live with more. Austin. Well, Toronto police saying tonight the streets are safer after they raided several locations, seizing practically a warehouse full of handguns, ready to be sold to anyone with the right money and the right connection. Interim Police Chief James Raymer surveying the haul of guns from Project Barbell. 62 in all, destined for the streets. Mostly semi-automatic handguns, but three AK-type guns, five AR-15 carbine-type guns. The head of the Guns and Gangs Task Force says it is now not unusual for those living a criminal lifestyle to be packing comments. lethal force. That's what it comes down to, immediate access and availability of firearms on the person. I mean, on your immediate person. One of the men arrested also now charged in an October 21 shooting inside Bar Karma at Queen in Portland. This incident happened in a crowded bar after an altercation between two opposing groups. So many loaded guns sold on the streets for between $4,500 and $6,000 a piece now being concealed and carried as a lifestyle. And one of the things that concerns us more than anything else is the number of innocent victims that are being caught in the crossfire. When you're downtown at some of these clubs and shots are being fired and, and some un unsuccess unsuspecting person is catching around. And these individuals needed to be to be, need to be treated severely or who are involved in this kind of activity. The chief asking for bail reform, that bail hearings for the most serious firearm offences be heard by provincial judges rather than a justice of the peace. I think they have, a, they have better legal training, of course, and they have a better understanding of the trauma and the impact that, that uh, these occurrences are having on, on victims and families. And so uh, from our perspective, we think it would, they are much better suited to do it. The president of the Criminal Lawyers Association disagrees. It just makes no sense. Uh, I mean, to be frank, the idea that a judge would apply the law any differently than a justice of the peace really undermines the, our, our justice system. Uh, it's not true that people who are um, out there committing crimes right now have been released on bail. Daniel Brown points out the highest courts have enshrined constitutional protection to reasonable bail. So four people in custody facing a long list of gun charges, two of them arrested with loaded guns. One's in a restaurant, one had two loaded guns on him. Point live for police headquarters. I'm Austin Delaney. All right, thank you, Austin. He's the man who had a principal role in Canada's COVID-19 vaccine campaign. Today, Major General Danny Fortin was in court. Charged with one count of sexual assault, Fortin always maintained his innocence. And tonight, a not 
guilty verdict. Our Zoraida Allman is in studio with more Zoraida. Michelle and Nathan, at the height of the pandemic, Danny Fortan was addressing Canadians almost daily as head of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. Today's verdict, the Major General says, is an important step in proving his innocence and repairing his reputation. Major General Danny Fortin walks into a Quebec courtroom this afternoon to learn his fate. The judge taking about an hour to deliver his verdict in a sexual assault allegation dating back to 1988. Not guilty. I am so relieved by the judge's decision today. As you would expect, this is a huge burden off our shoulders my shoulders and, and that of, our, of my family. In his decision, Justice Richard Meredith said the Crown could not establish beyond a reasonable doubt that Danny Fortin was the accused in this case, an incident that allegedly happened when both Fortin and the accuser attended military college in Quebec. He believed she was assaulted. He simply believed she got it wrong in terms of who did it to her. What does he base that on? very significant inconsistencies between what she told investigators and what she testified to in court. That includes a former boyfriend who the victim says she confided in about the incident when it happened. Under oath, he told the judge he had no memory of the conversation. Major General Danny Fortin was the military general in charge of Canada's COVID-19 vaccination rollout, a high-profile position for a logistical mission the Prime Minister called the greatest mobilization effort since the Second World War. It was a role Fortin was forced to step down from when the sex assault allegations came to light. From the start, senior military leaders and political decision makers presumed and acted as if I was guilty. I was denied due process. And information about my case was mishandled and leaked. The Crown attorney says she is disappointed in today's verdict. We think that uh, uh, the evidence that we submitted uh, uh, was, um, was uh, enough for an accusation and a condemnation. Now, uh, I think the judge decided to uh, uh, permit the, the accused to benefit from the, from the doubt. It's unclear if they will appeal. And Danny Fortan's days in court may not be over, but this time as a plaintiff, he is still appealing his removal from his post at the Public Health Agency of Canada. An appeal date has not yet been set. I'm Zoraida Allman. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Zoraida. Legal proceedings began in Ottawa today on the fate of dozens of Canadians being held in Syria. The federal government is refusing to repatriate them, and their families argue that's a breach of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. CTV's Judy Trin has the details. Not an easy task for the lawyers representing more than 40 Canadians languishing in Kurdish-controlled camps and prisons in northeast Syria. The majority of the detainees are children and women. Four of them are men who allegedly fought for ISIS, including Sally Lane's British-Canadian son. My husband and I have been fighting for Jack for nine years now to get him home. Um, we've even been criminalized by the UK courts for sending him money to get him home. Um, and uh, after they stripped his citizenship, uh, we had no choice but to continue the battle in Canada. Jack Letts has been in a prison since 2017. 
The last time his mother received an update was three years ago in a letter passed on by the Red Cross. He said very little, really. He, his early letters were quite feisty, quite spirited. All that is gone. Lawrence Greenspan is demanding the government repatriate the Canadians immediately. He represents more than half the detainees and says the women and children are being detained without cause, while the men are in prison without charge. Greenspan says Kurdish forces have requested that Canada take back responsibility for its citizens. But the government has argued it can't get consular staff to extract the detainees safely. It's an argument that flies in the face of the over 25 countries that have repatriated successfully without incident thousands, thousands of their nationals. Ten days ago, the government partially reversed course, issuing a notice that women and children were now eligible but the men were not. I think that's based on Islamophobic stereotypes. Uh, we always see Islamic men as somehow presenting a threat to our security, and we always see Islamic women and children as needing to be quote-unquote rescued. So far, three women and four children have been repatriated. The hearing will continue with government submissions and more questions as to why dozens of other Canadians are being left behind. Judy Trin, CTV News, Ottawa. Russia launched another large wave of missile attacks across Ukraine today. The long-range strikes killed two people, destroyed homes, and caused power outages. But Ukraine's Air Force says over 60 of the more than 70 missiles fired had been shot down. In Kyiv, residents took shelter in the city's subway system. The capital appeared to have escaped serious damage, but about 40% of the region's residents were left without electricity. The Canadian assets of three of Haiti's richest people are being frozen. Ottawa is imposing a new round of sanctions on the country's economic elite. They're accused of providing financial and operational support to armed gangs through money laundering and other means. The criminals block access to roads, fuel and essentials. It's prompted Haitian officials to call for international military assistance. Canada is considering leading such a mission, but some on the island fear outside intervention may end up helping a corrupt government stay in power. The crews of two Canadian warships are back home just in time for the holidays. How's it feel to have uh, your dad home? Oh, it's amazing. We miss him so much. Just get to have him home now. It's lots of appointments. So. There were emotional reunions in Esquimalt, B.C., where HMCS Vancouver and HMCS Winnipeg returned to their home port today. The frigate spent six months at sea. They were on a 173-day deployment in the Indo-Pacific, participating in Operation Projection. It's intended to make the world more secure and enhance relationships with Canada's allies and partners. NASA's Orion moon capsule is also heading home. For Orion, this is not a goodbye, but a see you later to the moon, our nearest celestial neighbor, as we begin to get our first glimpse of an Earth rise coming into frame. Orion passed within 130 kilometers of the far side of the moon today. It used the lunar gravity as a slingshot for the journey back to Earth. The capsule also passed over the landing sites of Apollo 12 and 14 before setting its sights for home. It will splash down in the Pacific off San Diego Sunday after a three-week test flight. The next mission will attempt to carry four astronauts around the moon, followed by a lunar landing in 2025. Also tonight, sinkhole struggles. Why this gaping problem on Dundas Street West is not going away anytime soon as area businesses express frustration.
And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, an old scam is making the rounds again and hundreds of seniors have lost millions of dollars. It's the grandparent scam where criminals pretend they're a grandchild in trouble. I'll have what you need to know. That story is just ahead. Well, it was breezy out there today, but nothing compared to what we experienced over the weekend. Port Colborne and Peterborough each experiencing a peak wind gust of over 100 kilometers per hour. Today, southerly winds contributed to our mild weather. Overnight tonight, Niagara Falls will be 7 degrees. The norm overnight this time of year is minus 3. How long will the mild spell last? We'll show you in your 7-day forecast coming up here on CTV News. It is not new, but unfortunately, that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Getting a call from a scam artist pretending to be a grandchild in trouble. And just in time for the holidays, the scam is back again. And the numbers are staggering. This year alone, hundreds of seniors have been targeted, losing more than $4 million. Pat Foran has our story on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Nathan and Michelle. A phone call comes out of the blue, and it's a grandchild who claims to be in trouble with the law and needs money for bail. But it's really criminals taking advantage of loving grandparents, and the calls have more than doubled this year. I would say it's the worst thing with money that has happened to me in my life. Stuart Irvin of Mississauga is looking forward to seeing his family at Christmas, and when he got a call from someone claiming to be his grandson in trouble, he wanted to help. Don't you know me, Grampy? And on my mind was, that sounds like Cody. <laughs> so I stupidly said, Cody. And that was all they needed. Irvin was told his grandson needed bail money after narcotics were found in his friend's car. He was told not to tell anyone, and a courier was sent to his home to pick up $8,000 in cash. Once they got the money, Irvin never heard from them again, so he called his grandson directly. Were you downtown yesterday? He said, was I supposed to be? And that's when the, the thunder roared and the crash came down. I've been had. According to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, the grandparent scam is now rampant across the country. It's difficult to say why we're seeing such a, an increase. Uh, reporting is, is on pace to nearly double. Canadians lost $2.4 million to grandparent and emergency scams last year. That number has almost doubled to $4.2 million this year. Irvin says he felt something didn't seem right and wishes he would have followed his instincts. In my mind throughout this whole session, I was feeling this might be a scam, but I just didn't have guts enough to say, I'm going to stop this thing. I was constantly thinking of my grandson. Be suspicious of calls that demand immediate action. Law enforcement will not seek immediate payment. Never send money to anyone under uncertain conditions. And don't be afraid to say no. Irvin says you should never be first to say your grandchild's name and ask questions only your family members would know. And police said today there's been another victim of this scam. This time it was a mother in Lindsay who was told her daughter was in trouble. The woman gave scammers $5,000 to get her out of jail, but it was also a scam. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca.
All right, to the forecast. I guess comfortable outdoor skating weather, but things are going to change a little bit. I know. It's kind of mild this week. When you look at the temperatures, it's just, yeah, unfortunately, there's some rain. I think a lot of kids out there wouldn't mind a little snow, actually. I, you're, you're certainly right. We're getting to that point. I've been keeping an eye on these skaters tonight. I don't see a lot of hats. I don't see a lot of mitts, but that's okay. It just speaks to how uh, mild it is, relatively speaking, for this point in the month of December. If you're ready for a little bit of snow, we're going to have to wait into the long-range forecast. Tomorrow, though, I'm Umbrella weather for many. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. I do want to point out the fact that it is very cold in northern parts of Ontario. Look at the difference between Piawanek, which right now feels like minus 41 once you factor in the wind chill, and then us here in southern Ontario with temperatures once again trending above normal. In fact, the average overnight low at this time of year in Toronto proper is minus 4 degrees. We're going to hover somewhere around 3-4 degrees through the overnight hours tonight, and then tomorrow many areas are going to climb to to about seven degrees. There's Welland, six degrees for St. Thomas. I do want to point out the fact that these icons may make it look like it's going to rain a little bit heavier and steadier than it is. Instead, tomorrow we're going to be dealing with uh, some light showers and perhaps some drizzle that sticks around uh, into the afternoon. So umbrella for the morning and probably need it and need just to hold on to it into the afternoon. We're dry right now around the GTA, but I'll step to the side here so you can see what's coming. There are some showers making their way across southwestern Ontario and there's some wet snow happening around uh, the south end of Georgian Bay into uh, the Midland Penetanguishing area, extending into Muskoka maybe too wet to accumulate in many areas, but it's something that we'll keep an eye on over the next couple of days as temperatures begin to cool. We have a frontal system that's going to bring us, uh, it's going to contribute to the rain that we get overnight tonight and into tomorrow morning. A little bit of a repeat scenario for some into the day on Wednesday. Here's our forecast radar. I've paused it there at about 730. You'll notice that this isn't an all day rain. It's not a washout either, but you might need the umbrella into the afternoon, drying out as we make our way into your Tuesday evening and then chance of very scattered showers into the day on Wednesday. Again, not a washout. Overall, it's a pretty quiet seven day forecast. I want to point out the fact that the sun finally returns for us on Thursday. We had a little less sun today than I was hoping for. Friday, cloud cover once again starting to cool down. Daytime high about two degrees and then a few flurries could begin Friday night and follow us into the day on Saturday. Mix of sun and cloud by Sunday and an afternoon high of three degrees. And a reminder that the CTV Toy Mountain campaign is well underway. We are helping the Salvation Army build a mountain of toys and there are ways you can help too. Head to toymountain.ca, click on Toronto, you'll find ways to make a monetary donation along with locations for our drop-off bins. We want to give a huge thank you to everyone who is helping us build this mountain and sharing their efforts with us on social media. That was a wonderful photo of the We Woke Network's recent toy drive. Here we have an amazing haul of toys from BFL Canada and some very friendly faces here from the Toronto Trillium Lions Club who have also contributed to our campaign. Great work everyone. Want to be part of Toy Mountain? Email us your donation photo at toy.mountain at bellmedia.ca. If you're doing some shopping, a reminder that there's an extra need for toys for the 10 to 13 year old age group. And you can also find out where we are going to be broadcasting live from this week online. Some exciting locations coming up. Thank you for helping CTV and the Salvation Army build a mountain of toys. Michelle and Nathan, I'll send it back over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, one problem has led to another on Dundas Street West. A giant hole making for a sinking feeling among area businesses who've had learned it's going to take a while and they couldn't 
and the timing make that couldn't be worse. CTV's John Musselman reports. For businesses here on Dundas Street West near Brock Avenue, this massive sinkhole in the middle of the street is putting a big hole in their bottom line. The problem started last month with a block sewer, then it got worse. And then they had to do this discovery work where they found a sinkhole, which then created a problem with the streetcar tracks and ripping out the road. Sherry Luna Jokish owns the store right in front. She says the road closure, the dust and the noise is hurting business. And the timing right near Christmas compounds the problem. It looks awful. People are walking by instead of looking at my Christmas window. They're looking at the construction, so they're not even seeing my business. There are nearly 40 businesses on this stretch of Dundas affected by the sinkhole. Ian Moores owns a cookie store on the corner. Will definitely affect our business, especially happening around the busiest time of the year. This is when we make a lot of our money. The local BIA says this emergency construction comes at a horrible time for our small businesses. At this time of year, businesses often make between 30 and 40 percent of their yearly income. So we're really counting on people to shop local this year. The city says this isn't technically a sinkhole. They describe it as an underground void created by a damaged sewer pipe. The thick concrete base of the TTC tracks prevented the void from creating a sinkhole. Still, it will take some time to fix it. After the track replacement is complete, the overhead wires will be reinstalled. This phase of the work will take two to three weeks. Work is being carried out 24-7 in order to complete it by the end of the month. We understand it's exceptionally unfortunate, but it's necessary. Uh, but yeah, fingers crossed that, you know, things go well weather-wise, etc., and, and work can move along as quickly as possible. The road is closed to all vehicle traffic, but the sidewalks remain open so people can access all of the businesses. John Musselman, CTV News. Also tonight, Royal Revelations, a new glimpse at the Harry and Meghan docu-series. But the latest trailer reveals and when the Netflix series is set to stream. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. Seaweed molecules are being used to improve outcomes for patients who undergo heart bypass surgery. CTV's Pauline Chan reports on the new research out of the University of Waterloo. They look like the plastic bendy straws you used to get in hospitals, but these are artificial blood vessels. Professor Evelyn Yim and her team at Waterloo University have been taking a molecule found in brown seaweed and using it to improve the function of tiny synthetic vascular grafts often implanted after a heart bypass. We publish, we test in a small animal experiment, in this one, which is um, it has an internal diameter of 2 millimeters. The problem with the tiny artificial blood vessels currently used, measuring less than 6 millimeters in diameter, is that they tend to develop blood clots, which can turn into full blockages. The polymer grafts aren't as flexible as real blood vessels, but the seaweed molecules, called fucoidin, can help prevent clot development and promote vascular cell growth. The typical clinically available um, synthetic material blood vessel is usually a bit stiffer. So our blood vessel is more flexible and more similar to the patient's artery. So far, the research team has tested the fucoidin grafts in small animals, and they plan to begin testing on larger animals soon, before trials on humans. And Yim envisions their use in several medical situations. Some of those actually the heart, the coronary bypass, um, and another very um, 
how many um, used sites will be the peripheral arterial disease, which is in the lower limb. And they could be helpful for patients with end-stage renal disease who require hemodialysis. Pauline Chan, CTV News. It has been a particularly bad flu season so far here and south of the border. The United States seeing its highest levels of hospitalizations from influenza in a decade at this time of year. 14 young people have died so far. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says hospitals continue to be stressed with a high number of patients with other respiratory illnesses. They include RSV and COVID-19. In Denmark, a new robot is being used to help cut long hospital waiting lists. It's performing ultrasounds to scan for potential rheumatoid arthritis. The same patient, if it's detected early, can be treated with much less medicine than a patient, the same patient being detected much later. The clinical robot uses its arm to scan the 11 joints on each hand. It analyzes the images using an artificial intelligence algorithm and sends a report to doctors. Up to four patients can be scanned per hour. The robot has drawn interest from Canada and Germany so far. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex are once again offering insight into their rift with the royal family. Portions of a new Netflix documentary featuring Harry and Meghan were released today. There's a hierarchy of the family. You know, there's leaking, but there's also planting of stories. There was a war against Meghan to suit other people's agendas. It's about hatred. It's about race. It's a dirty game. The pain and suffering of women marrying into this institution, this feeding frenzy. The royal family has said some recollections may vary, but promised last year to address issues raised by the couple while denying accusations of racism. The first three episodes of the six-part series will be available on Thursday. The magic will continue in Toronto. Mervish Productions is extending the run of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. The stage adaptation at CAA Ed Mervish Theatre will continue until June 2023. Ten weeks of performances have been added, with the new block of tickets on sale Saturday. The show is based on an original new story. It focuses on the adventures of Harry Potter's son, Albus, who befriends the son of rival Draco Malfoy. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, an unusual sight in the apple orchard. How robots that can work all hours and offer a gentle touch are being used to harvest fruit. We had better news for 2023, but the first part of 2023 will, will remain challenging. Updating our top stories, grocery prices are expected to rise up to 7% in 2023, according to Canada's latest food price report. A family of four can expect to spend just over $16,000 on groceries next year, just over $1,000 more than they likely spent this year. This is like winning the Super Bowl, and now we're going to rebuild the team and go back in again. There is much that is left on the table. Um, and I think, you know, we also have to be looking at where do we need to go the next time. Ontario education workers have voted to accept a new deal with the province. The agreement will see all workers receive a $1 flat rate hourly wage increase. Workers will also be paid for two days. They participated in a political protest over Bill 28, which made it illegal for them to strike. 
While we are here to show the public the results of a successful investigation, this is not a good news story. Six people have been arrested and 62 guns have been seized following a months-long Toronto police investigation dubbed Project Barbell. Police say that of the 62 guns seized, they were able to trace 57 back to the United States. Remember to follow us on social media and keep up to date day and night through our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And if you ever have a news tip, photos, or video of breaking news, let us know. On the markets, the Canadian dollar was down almost three-quarters of a cent to 73.54 U.S. American benchmark oil fell $3 to close at 76.93 U.S. a barrel. And the TSX Composite Index lost 243 points to end the day at 20,242. Canada's first full-scale commercial electric vehicle plant is now operational. Vested in GM's project, we knew we'd get results. We have everything we need to make the cars of the future in Ontario by Ontario workers from start to finish. GM's commitment to this plant is a massive vote of confidence in our province and our incredible workers. General Motors expects to produce 50,000 electric delivery vans a year by 2025 at its plant in Ingersoll. The Cami production facility has been retooled to build the company's Bright Drop all-electric vehicle brand. A reminder, the CTV News at 6 podcast is available as a download every weeknight. And you can also listen to the show live on News Talk 1010. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. How about them apples? Meet the fruit pickers of tomorrow. An Israeli startup is making life easier for farmers and saving them money too. Look at this, these robots fly and identify ripe fruit, picking them straight off the trees day or night. They have four motors driven by algorithms with data from surrounding 3D cameras. The developers say these robots have a gripper that prevents bruising and allows access to every fruit on the tree. They even deposit their harvest in a bin Gently, of mm. course. It's amazing what those algorithms can do. What about the weather algorithm? Okay, well, let's talk about what we know. Tonight is a pretty pleasant night. We are expecting a few showers to move in overnight. And then waking up tomorrow morning, a little unsettled, a little drizzly out there. Grab the umbrella just in case. Here's a look at the satellite and radar imagery. You can see even some wet snow showing up on the radar, but well north of the city. Here's what you're waking up to tomorrow. Mild temperatures once again will be mild through the early part of this work week with a cool down expected as we head into the weekend. Michelle and Nathan. Thank you, Lindsay. And be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Almond with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.